Hi, I'm Mike Allen, Head of Research at Zeus, and today I'm talking about some of the key themes in the automotive UK finance industry with Richard Hoggart, CEO of DSG Group. I see DSG as a leading innovator in the automotive finance market with a collection of forward-thinking brands. It's a business with a great heritage, first-class people and strong values. Richard has been a valuable industry contact of mine for over five years, and I'm proud to say I've been a board advisor to the business for nearly three years. Richard, it's a pleasure to have you on. I thought we could start perhaps with an overview of the history of DSG, a fantastic heritage which dates back to your father, who was also a force to be reckoned with in the industry. Yeah, thanks, Mike. That's a really strong introduction, much appreciated. Um, yeah, so um, I've been involved in car finance now since uh, 1990. It's the only thing I've ever done. Um, got involved with DSG when I left school uh, after my A-levels. Uh, as you said, yeah, a great influence and in all that was my father. Um, he was a motorman through and through, um, from again, from the age of 18 himself. Uh, he was involved in, uh, in the motor industry, um, mainly as a car dealer over the years and uh, in the Late 80s, he built up a, a fairly sizable uh, franchise car dealership group called Dean Smith Garages. And there was an offshoot finance business from that, which he called DSG Financial Services, uh, which is the name of the main trading business to, to this day. As I said, I started when I left school, got involved in that. And, uh, you know, I've pretty much done every role that you can imagine uh, through car finance back from, from then. Um, a lot's changed, but a lot's still the same. Uh, but the main thing that I've taken from that those early days is um, an understanding of car dealers. Um, yeah. You know that that whole automotive industry is is right in the middle of my heart, particularly an understanding around franchise dealers. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've, I've definitely seen that in spades, and particularly within a lot of your senior team as well, who live and breathe the motor industry. And that that that's always great to see. I I guess the starting point for our discussion is probably the brands and the structure of the business. Uh, it's probably also worth pointing out that DSG is not just a conventional finance broker. It's also got a lending business in Unity and perhaps worth touching on that as well. Yeah, that's right. So as we've just established from uh, my sort of opening remarks, um, the DSG name has got a lot of heritage for us. And for many years uh, as a finance broker, uh, DSG Finance was very much just about building relationships with franchise dealers. That's our heritage, so it's our heritage brand, and we remain trading as DSG Finance within all those uh, all those fantastic businesses that we work with. Um, in more recent years, we recognised that you know there was more in the marketplace for us for expansion uh, beyond the franchise dealer community. Uh, a lot of other brokers, you know, were focused in those areas as it was, but we decided. This was a good uh, opportunity for us to expand a little bit. And so we decided to tax other areas. But we felt that because of the heritage brand was so established in the franchise community that would use different brand names for different yeah. sectors. Um, so a good example of that is Connected Car Finance. Um, this has been a something we started about four years ago now. And it serves the independent used car dealer community. So all those, all those, you know, established used car dealers, everybody drives past on their way to work every day in their local communities. Yeah. Um, so that's been a really successful 
uh, offshoot for us. It's got a completely different sales force. In fact, a bigger sales force than we have for DSG Finance, where we act very much as consultants within the franchise dealer community. We act as relationship builders um, very much in the in the used car community. We still feel like there's a great opportunity uh, to build those connections with the owner operators of those businesses and yeah. try and bring them into a slightly more technological way of doing used car finance. So that's been quite a successful thing for us. We are involved in other areas as well. And again, we've used um, we've used particular brand names for those for those areas. A good example is uh, Magnitude Finance. Yeah. So we're now probably the largest uh, funder of prestige car uh, finance deals in the UK. Um, yeah. We operate through magnitudefinance.com there, uh, a combination of working with the dealer community but also with direct to the public as well, where we offer a very specialised concierge service yeah. for those customers who um, who may be high, high net worth individuals or have got very specialist needs or require very large balances uh, to, to fund either collected, collector cars, etc. So that's a really important part of our business. Uh, we operate from our office in Otley in that business, so it's very specialised. We've got a team that's dedicated only only to that kind of business. The rest of what we do operates out of our Stockport HQ, uh, where yeah. we've got about 200 people. Yeah. Um, we have uh, one or two other brands as well uh, from the broker side. Uh, Flowcar Finance is very much a volume-based direct-to-the-consumer proposition. And yeah. we have Leasing.Cars, uh, which is um, which is a low, low emission vehicle leasing, so battery electric vehicles, hybrids only. Um, the one you mentioned at the end uh, of your question there was um, about becoming a lender as well. Yeah. So post 2015, when we took some investment into the business from a firm called Promethean Investments, we decided that part of the reason for doing that is we'd like to become a lender alongside our broker proposition. Yeah. Reasons for doing that were very much that we felt that um, having our own lender on our broker panel will give us a little bit more of an element of control about um, product, about pricing, um, and enable us to react slightly more quickly to the market yeah. and uh, just give us a, a diversified revenue stream um, yeah. alongside you know, the month-to-month the -month revenues that uh, broker commissions generate. So we called that Unity Auto Finance, yeah. and um, it's been a really interesting journey because we launched it right at the start of the interest rate rises. Yeah. Uh, so that's, you know, we, we asked you could argue we had about 14 years to get it done when everything was quite straightforward. <laughs> but we decided to do it literally um, the month before the first interest rate rise. So as I've been now addicted, the first thing I do every morning now is refresh the Sonya rates <laughs> on my uh, screen to see to see where they're going. So that's been a very interesting journey. As we modelled for that, thinking they'll never go above 2%. We'll put that <laughs> as the top. Hindsight's point. great, eh? <laughs> But that's been um, that's been a really interesting uh, proposition, obviously, for those reasons I've just given yeah. those challenges. Yeah. Um, but um, it's been fantastic to get that established, a whole different team in the business, yeah. different skill set required, uh, yeah. and then just trying to uh, assimilate that into our into our panel, integrate it in, has been um, has been a really interesting journey. But I think it's one that we all uh, are delighted that we've we've managed to achieve. And it's not just cars that you can finance as well, isn't there? I saw a recent um, uh, LinkedIn post from uh, Mr. David Quaich showing that he can finance other forms of transport Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, yeah. So, 
Uh, David is one of our directors. He's based up in Scotland and he uses the brand uh, Igneous Asset Finance. And basically we let him just go go wild. Uh, you know, what what interesting assets, vehicular assets, basically beyond yeah. beyond car can, can you get involved in? So uh, he does all sorts of stuff, uh, lots of motorhomes. That's become, yeah. uh, as you would imagine, you know, post pandemic with all the staycation and stuff, that, that market's going to absolutely berserk. So we do a lot of motorhomes. But yes, um, he did a helicopter um, the other week. <laughs> That's definitely the first time we've done one of those. But it was fun to see the photo, you know, of yeah. David alongside the helicopter. He's also done a plane as well. So uh, yeah. I suppose a boat's next and, you know, we'll, we'll, and a hovercraft maybe. Yeah, if it flies or floats, you can finance it at DSG. Well, that, That's that was great. exactly his, uh, yeah. his little uh, thing on uh, LinkedIn, wasn't it? Yeah. So as we know, the automotive market's changing at rapid pace. Um, you know, we all know this. We all know further changes coming. Um, how does DSG keep pace with this? And is there a time lag in terms of getting the right products to the market? I guess the basis of that question, I'm thinking about EVs here, and maybe there's a bit of nervousness with lenders about used EVs until we establish you know, battery life and performance of cars, EV cars, four to six years old. So just explore that kind of time, like really, and, and to service the market. Yeah, sure. So we have to be a very responsive business, uh, almost reactive. Uh, we can be proactive in a lot of the things that we do, uh, but mainly we have to be reactive to the market. You know, we're not market makers. We've got no control over the market. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to make sure that we're in a position to respond quickly to any changes that the market puts our way. Um, interestingly, EVs obviously is, you go to any conference now and everybody wants to talk about EVs. We all know about you know the 2030 rule and all that kind of stuff. So it's got it on everybody's agenda. Interestingly, we, we kind of understand EVs pretty well as a business because we were a very early adopter ourselves yeah. in switching our own fleet. Yeah. We got our first Teslas in 2016, and we've now got 63, I think, electric vehicles on our fleet, which is now 100% electric. We have we no longer have any uh, ICE uh, vehicles on the fleet wow. at all. So, so we get them, and as a result of that, we actually have witnessed and become, you know, we've been on the receiving end of some of the problems that EVs have experienced from a funding perspective. So we've yeah. we've been part of that journey because, you know, surprise, surprise, we don't pay cash from ourselves. So, yeah. you know, we, we've had to try and find ways to fund them as well. And, and I have to say it's not been easy. doesn't feel like it's getting much easier, to be honest, either, Mike. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, initially you had everybody's concerns about, well, do we own the battery and all that kind of stuff, because, you yeah. know, it came from the sort of initial Renault, Renault uh, Zoe stuff. So you had lenders who were confused about that aspect of it. Um, and of course, the main thing is just RV nervousness. Yeah. We haven't seen many used cars uh, from EV perspective, of course, hitting the market. So it's not like any lender has had a mass opportunity to fund them beyond obviously the new car stuff that's, that's hit the market. So because experience has been limited there, I think what we found is most of the lenders sort of don't want to be first. They want to just yeah. keep an eye out. We all ask everybody else doing. What's everybody else's experience before we yeah. get into it? Yeah. And then the ironic situation is just as I felt that lenders were starting to get a little bit of confidence and, you know, we were able to get um, uh, get PCP deals, PCP deals done. 
on a, a used Tesla, etc. with a lot of the lenders, the recent Tesla price reduction yes. has yeah. now spooked some of the lenders. And we've got one lender in particular, I'm not going to name them, obviously, yeah. who've now pulled Tesla, uh, used Teslas. Uh, so they right? now fund them because they're scared of what's going to happen yeah. with, the, with the future value of those. And everyone's confused again now. Yeah. So um, I would say the market, in our experience is still very much in an unsure state of, of where it wants to be in funding electric vehicles and it really does need to get its act together uh, sooner yeah. rather than later because clearly there is a push for these we are going to see more of these come to the market as yeah. i said before because we've been an early adopter on evs ourselves we're on our second generation of a lot yeah. of our teslas so yeah. our first generations have hit the market and you know that the flow of those going into market presumably is going to increase quite dramatically over the next couple of years. So it will be interesting to see how the lenders react. Because of our experience with EV um, through Unity, we're pretty bold on that. We're, yeah. we're confident. We're happy to write PCP deals yeah. on those. Um, in fact, we are also through customers that come to us direct. We're also happy to drop our APR our um, bespoke APR system uh, rate for risk yeah. uh, we're happy to drop it by a percent on a on an electric car if a customer comes to us direct with those because we want to try and help that market get established yeah um, so yeah it's quite interesting to see how how that's all going to move over the uh, over the next few few months I mean I don't know from your experience um, you know what's the levels of sort of stock that your that your clients are seeing like you know in EVs building up yeah, I was going to say, I think clearly the Tesla price um, price reduction did spook the market and I think it had a, a knock on effect on it, other EVs. But from the data that that we see, that, that, that Tesla action has reverberated across other EV brands and there is general nervousness on RVs on, on uh, you know, across any brands because of because of what Tesla have done. But having said that, and as you say, I mean, I've been an EV driver for three years. It's a different driving experience, but it's a good driving experience as well. Yeah. Um, the cars are coming for the next five years. We know that already, um, just because the OEMs have kind of invested in R&D and they've made that commitment to the planet in terms of EVs the way. I've been, you know, discussing it with, with other guests. I think on a on a 10 to 15 year view, I don't think EV will be the only game in town. I think hydrogen will come in, but um, I think EV is, it, it's coming. It's going to be a growth market. And yeah. if you're bold as, uh, you know, with with, with um, Unity, et cetera, hopefully you'll get your rewards and your market share and, and, and that share of that growth market. Yeah, it's like you said at the start of the question, you know, our, our job very much is to, be able to respond to what the market needs you know as a broker it's our responsibility to make sure that we build a panel of lenders that can cope with this demand yeah. you know if there are if there are lenders out there that are nervous of of ev we've got to find the ones that aren't and add those to our panel and make sure and, it, and it's not just ev i mean this goes for sort of any requirement that the dealer community has yeah. or the car buying public has we've got to make sure that we build a panel of lenders that's our sort of first and foremost responsibility yeah in order to be able to service whatever the need is and as i said at the start of the point to respond quickly to any changes in yeah. that wherever we can yeah um, so that's something we've done since the start and it, it's been 
been a really interesting journey from that perspective when you are the sort of panel building as a broker when you've been established as long as us you know you look back in the sort of every five-year tranche and what lenders did we have then and what kind of deals were we doing it's interesting yeah. to see we've had some of those lenders for over sort of 20 years now yeah. Um, yeah but there's a huge amount of names that have cropped up in that panel that you, you wonder where they where, where are those people now <laughs> can we segue into fintech and what that means to dsg and how you've utilized technology over the years to improved the scope efficiency and an outcome for your products i assume it's a, it's an evolution really but it, it feels like it's something that you you're always trying to invest ahead of the curve and how easy is it to do and what successes have you had yeah i mean it's a it's a very popular phrase isn't it yeah in tech i remember being on a being on a conference once with a and and a, i think a new start lender was on was on the conference was on the panel with me and and described themselves as a fintech business you know looking to revolutionize car finance and i have to admit i've heard that a few times now if i'm honest <laughs> I and i i did say facetiously at the time i said fintech's a label we'd all like to apply because it's great for valuations isn't it yeah <laughs> um i mean you're probably in a in a better position than i am in fact to describe you know how important it is to be seen as a fintech business in, in the market and, and what the implications of that can actually be for businesses that are seeking investment or seeking a sale, et cetera. Because we've been around as long as we have, we're obviously there at the start of that. And, and sort of my understanding of it is, is quite for, quite straightforward, really. You know, you, you need to be a, a solid financial services business, <coughs> excuse me, where you're using technology um, to, yeah. to deliver the product in a more advantage, advantageous way to the customer, if you, if you can. Yeah. Do we do yeah. that? Yeah, I think, I think we do. Yeah. Um, over time, we have developed, you know, lots of different uh, applications within the business that all come together to try and create a better experience for car finance. But it's very difficult um, to argue that everybody else in the industry, the other major organisations aren't thinking in the same way. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why there's a lot of similarity in the industry is because no matter what we try to do, we will always be slightly restricted by the product that we're trying to deliver. Yeah. HP, PCP, they're clunky products and they're clunky for a reason because yeah. that's, that's how the regulators want them to be with all the rights and, you know, that, yeah. that come with those products. And I'm not, I'm not disputing that, that that's the right way to go. Um, but it does make delivery of those products as, as one of your sort of limitations of what you can do with those. So what we have to do, we have to think, okay, think around the product. What is it that we can actually do? Uh, to improve our, you know, our, our technological work um, and, yeah. and our delivery. And I think one of the areas that we've really tried to work very hard in um, is interfacing with the dealers. Yeah. So you know, the, our current generation of system is called is called Quest, QST, Quote, Screen, Transact. Yeah. And that's been very much designed to create an excellent experience for uh, a motor dealer in how they can process a finance application you know, how they quote from it, how they're able to review the quality of the customer, how they're able to select the most suitable product for the customer. And we design it so that somebody who's probably been working in a dealer for a couple of weeks can do it whilst staying comfortably within all the expected regulations that, that um, the regulator wants us to uh, wants us to work to. 
So I suppose that's that's a sort of technological edge that we've tried to develop, create a good experience for dealers to be able to process a finance application um, and then for us to be able to communicate back to them the various stages of that application in a real time scenario with great information, build a very straightforward, easy sign up platform that again takes a lot of responsibility away from the dealer you know back from the old days of them having to sign documents up we take a lot of that responsibility away because the e-sign journey is very much between dsg the lender and the customer and the dealer doesn't have to have a part of that so it's one yeah. less area that yeah. they have to be worried about and involved in so for us that's where we can use our tech it, it, it's around the product itself we can't change the nature of the loan facility itself but what we can do is try and make the journey a little bit easier i think uh, with unity uh, the tech part of it is a slightly different opportunity for us um i mean you know uh, aaron mallins who's the, C yeah. the group cfo of dsg and he also acts as md of unity yeah. um, he's worked very hard in recent times to, to develop um scoring um yeah. that we can use we can integrate into dealer websites that enables the dealers to get a very good indication of a, of a, of a score for a customer and therefore the likelihood of the level of accepts and we can offer them a very accurate APR up front. So the customer doesn't have to be uh, receiving a nasty surprise, yeah. uh, which is what has happened over the years where customers have been thinking they were going to get a 7.9 APR, they apply for finance and somebody then tells them it's going to have to be 19.9 because they're not as prime yeah. as they thought they were. You know, yeah. we can use our tech to give people uh, that information right up front so that they don't have to uh, work on that problem post yeah. post application. Yeah. You know, they know what they're going to get. So, yeah, for us, it, it's just working around those areas and um, if that makes us a fintech, then, then I'm I'm very happy with that. But I suppose um, you can tell me, as I said, a little bit more than I can, whether or not you would class as a... Yeah, I think I think fintech was probably the wrong phrase in my question, because as, as you say, it's just about utilising technology to get the right uh, outcome for your customers, for your yeah. dealers, et cetera. And that's what you do without putting a kind of a shiny badge on it, you know, expecting a a kind of high valuation. I guess the other point I'd probably add, Richard, is clearly the the spotlight has been on and off the car finance industry from a compliance perspective for a while, particularly on rates, etc. And, and I noticed when looking at some of your systems from a dealers can be more compliant by 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 partnering with DSG because of the way the, the the interactions with the customers it it's there at the kind of click of a button so you know in terms of dealer processes and ensuring that the right steps are taken and the customers are treated in the right way and information is conveyed at the right time it it it, it should make their life easier from a compliance perspective yeah, as I well mean, we we've never suggested that we're we're here to revolutionise anything. If we were yeah. going to revolutionise anything, we, we, we should probably should have done it 20 years ago, shouldn't we? But um, yeah. that that's not what we're about. So um, you're right in, in what you say there. Our, our mission is to try and make the job. First and foremost, we love the dealer community. So our job is to make their job easier in delivery yeah. and finance. And what easier means these days is very much about helping them 
stay within the expectations of the regulator and everything around that um, without them having to be concerned and worried whether or not they're doing so. So there's a lot of the stuff that we do, you're right, that does make that job easier for them. So um, helping them to manage uh, from a rate perspective, which has been you know, the, the most recent uh, area that the FCA has looked at, helping dealers manage rate for the risk propositions there by aggregating all our various lenders, fixing a price structure within those dealers, and then using our technology to find on an individual basis the most suitable lender for that customer whilst keeping that within that pricing yeah. um, system that's been designed for that particular dealer is something that's been really successful for us so we take away the confusion and the need for the dealers to have lots of lenders on their panel where they then are the ones who've got the issue of trying to find the right product for a customer that maybe doesn't fit that first and foremost primary first yeah. choice lender that they have um, so our system helps them do that but it keeps them uh, into a consistent pricing mechanism at the same time yeah. um, you know i think it'd be, we call it auto rate i think you've you've seen it in action through a presentation yes. etc i won't i won't do a presentation yeah. on it quite now because even <laughs> i get confused sometimes when people try and do it too quickly um but we feel like that's been a really successful way of trying to create that consistency in pricing that customers should be able to expect when they go into a dealer um, that probably they weren't necessarily able to expect a few years ago when everybody was still using, you know, sort of DIC structures, etc. Yeah, great. And and just looking at customers, I, I know you've got some great long-standing relationships with great dealer groups and lenders, but what makes an ideal dealership and lending partner for DSG, in your view? I think we're seeing our ideal clients um, far more probably than we used to. Um, it kind of follows on from the previous point. The motivation is no longer money, money, money. Yeah. Um, so it is. We recognise, and of course, we're all in it to make a profit. Of course we are. Yeah. And it is important for the dealers to, to be able to do so. Um, but historically, we would find that that would be almost the only thing that was a driver. Yeah. Um, because now the regulatory scene demands a slightly different approach, what we're seeing now is, is, a, is a much more rounded uh, approach from the dealers in what they're looking for from a finance provider. So it does, yes, we, of course, we have to be able to reward the dealer well uh, for the business that they introduce to us. But we've got to do that in a regulatory consistent manner and we've got to give them all the all the uh, the system availability that we've already talked about to be able to help them do that. And so what we find is the best dealers for us are the open minded ones who have got a positive attitude towards providing a quality service and quality product for the customer um, and also that they've got a an open mind that they're prepared to be uh, to allow to be consulted around that so we like to go and take a consultative approach to dealers you know what is it you're doing now you know who do you deal with who have you got strong relationships with we're not here to try and muscle in and beat up relationships that you've had with some of your lenders for years what can we do to complement that and what can we do yeah. to help you with those lenders perhaps to enable you to be able to deliver some of your products a little bit more compliantly a bit more in a straightforward manner etc so 
we love a dealer that that wants to have that conversation um, and we're certainly finding that that's that particularly in the franchise community you know the, the the highly professional businesses that they are we find that it's a much easier conversation to have and major dealer groups that historically would have looked at a broker to think well you know are you just here to do me subprime deals you know that they're much more open-minded now to what we can actually bring to the overall proposition that that they do with the used car dealers it's it's slightly different you know we feel that um it's a bigger job for them to stay on yeah. the right side of things because they don't have necessarily the same levels of staff and training and specialism that some of the franchise guys have so our um, field-based staff that work for Connected, they're, they're really well trained from a compliance perspective. So they can go, they can talk about, you know, treating customers fairly, consumer duty, all these kind of things. They can have that conversation um, with with dealers who don't know much about it. And okay. we can demonstrate to them, you know, about how, how we can assist them with that. And again, so it's, we're looking for dealers who want a successful F&I department yeah. Yeah. they want to generate income they understand that that is a real opportunity for them but they're happy to be uh, advised about how to do that and stay within uh, stay within the bounds of compliance as expected by the regulator so i think that's been quite a shift for us over the last 10 years i would say yeah. that we've moved much more heavily in that direction I do remember when we first employed um, a head of compliance. I mean, you know, now he's our he's our risk he's our risk officer, uh, Mark Lloyd. Yeah. Uh, when we first employed him, just coming up to ten years ago, I wondered if it was a bit of a luxury appointment. Thought, do yeah. we really need that? Because I kind of do the compliance stuff. You know, surely yeah. I can keep doing that and save on the salary. You know, that that goes through your head as a, <laughs> as a CEO when you're employing anybody. Yeah. So I took him on for, well, let's just see how it goes. And, you know, now he's got half a dozen people in his department. Um, so, you know, there's been, there has been a huge shift over the last 10 years, I think, in, into that area. And, and uh, for us, it's been really positive um, because we understand it, you know, we work on it. And if we can help dealers understand, you know, increase their understanding of it, it benefits us. It's, it's great being in some of the risk committee meetings that you have as well and you know it's very meticulous and pour over detail and you know it's you know Mark and his team do a do a great job and you know working in a regulated business myself it's um, it's refreshing to see you know how how seriously that's taken because it's it's future proof in the business really isn't it it is and I suppose it's like any business, as any business, no matter what you're doing, as any business gets bigger, your responsibilities increase. And therefore, yeah. Yeah. the kind of people you start to hire in your business changes. And yeah. in some ways, it becomes more like any other business. You know, you, yeah. you know you've got to increase your, your HR function. You've got to yeah. increase your operational, your compliance, your finance function. So you start to bring in a lot of people that have got nothing to do with the motor industry. Yeah. When you start and I think as a broker, you're just you're just hiring car people, motor people, yeah. you know, and yeah. and that's been great for us because that that's that is our heritage. You know, I'm yeah. I'm I'm a motor guy through and through because I just grew up around you know cars and dealerships etc. You know, from a, from a very early age. But as the business has matured at DSG and we've got bigger, you know, you do have to bring in people, compliance people, risk people, finance people that 
that bring a whole skill set to the business. And if you're just going to try and find one that's, if you're going to look for everybody who's been in the motor industry for those roles, you're really sort of closing yourself off. Yeah. Because, um, you know, if you bring in specialist people from outside the industry, they, they can bring you a different perspective on, exactly. uh, on how to run your business. And, and like you said, you know, you've been in some of our risk meetings and the complexity of, you know, going through the risk register and all that kind of stuff. You know, it requires specialist skills that you yeah. won't necessarily find if you just go looking in the motor pool. So that's yeah. been a really interesting journey for myself as a CEO of, of, of trying to find the right people to help the business grow. Yeah. I mean, finally, I always describe DSG as a values-based business. And, you know, you've you've done some incredible work in this area, particularly ESG with B Corp, et cetera. Um, and, and what you've achieved already to date, I think, has been fantastic. But perhaps you could outline what you've done there and maybe plans for the future as well. Yeah, definitely. I think it was me and you, um, who had conversations about this some time ago now yeah and um i think it was you who were the was the first person to tell me what esg stood for <laughs> um and talked to me about how important that was that was going to be down the line in businesses yeah. in the perception of businesses particularly from the markets etc uh and so you start thinking about these things and crikey that sounds really complicated but then you can take a look at your business and actually realize that you do some of that stuff. If yeah. you're a good values-based business, you do some of that stuff already. Yeah. So, you know, we were already trying to do positive things for the environment. You know, we we got a tree planting scheme. We've got electric vehicles. Um, yeah. We've installed solar panels. So you think, actually, yeah, we, we're kind of doing that. What do we do for the, for the you know, socially for the community? You know, we've got... Um, a very well established now food bank uh, yeah. project that we do nationwide and, and that kind of stuff so if you if anyone just wants to take a look at the business and write down some of the things that you do outside of your core activity you'll find a lot of esg related stuff but what you made me think about is okay how how do we formalize that as a as a real policy part of the business how do we yeah. how do we bring it all together to demonstrate to people that that we do we do have a conscience outside yeah. of just, you know, uh, sorting out car finance. Um, and we decided that we needed to take a really good formal look at that because then we'd be able to do it better for a start and we'd be able to demonstrate it to people. So uh, worked really heavily with our chief operating officer, Rob Woolen, in this yeah. area. You know, yeah. this is very, he's very close to his heart, particularly the social aspect of what we do. I felt that I had yeah. some of the expertise around the environmental side. And so we yeah. work closely together. B Corp is something that Rob brought to the table. Um, yeah. It's a superb way of formalizing um, your whole ESG approach. It's a score-based system, a highly complex score-based system with hundreds of questions that give you fractions of points. Yeah. And you've got to get to a, you know, got to get up with a baseline of, of over 80 points. And if you can get there, then theoretically you can certify yourself as a B Corp business once you've been through an audit. We've just been through that audit and we're expecting okay. now to have our B Corp certification sometime this month of February. Um, we've been told we'll be will be rubber stamps on it. So hopefully I'm not not tempting fate there. Um, for us, that'd be quite a big achievement because what that does, it enables us to to say to everybody, look, we've been through a very rigorous process of being assessed for our governance, 
for our social commitment and for the environmental stuff. Um, and we've demonstrated that we take all those things really seriously. So any business can do that. Um, and I think you should, you know, it, yeah. it, it's a great way to formalize it. But you won't get there unless you've done work in the first place around yeah. the culture in your business yeah. and your belief system. And I think, um, again, you know, Rob has brought really strong cultural values to the to, to the business or he's helped yeah. us understand what our cultural values are. Yeah. And um, I think one of the things I'm probably most proud of in the business is the fact that, you know, with the 200 odd people now that, that we that we've got in the business, Everybody understands what the, what the business stands for. Yeah. Everybody knows what expectations we have of them as people, forget as employees at the minute, just as people. And everybody believes in that. So we have a very healthy um, culture in the business of, you know, of belonging and, and everybody being able to just get on with the job and be who they want to be um, without it feeling forced. Um, yeah. But that's something you can only do over time and you know and I've, I've mentioned many times you know everyone knows i've said it enough times how long we've been established but it does take a long time to build that culture and uh, and then once you have when people come into the business they quickly understand it so they become part of it and that does really help you on that whole esg journey i think because you get people bought into it you haven't got people resisting you at any point so you know, I've been doing this now for um, for over 30 years and, you know, I don't think I've got another 30 in me, but... I don't know, um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I know I look like I have, man. <laughs> Inside. Uh, but um, from my perspective now, one of the important things to do um, when I'm no longer the CEO of the business is leave that legacy behind of a successful, yeah. you know, forward-thinking um, car finance provider but also of, of, a, of a solid business with nice values that people yeah. respect and look at yeah. and think, I like the way that they do things. That's really yeah. important to me. And yeah. to have people, when I'm, when I'm in the office, uh, people who look happy doing what yeah. they're doing yeah. and are comfortable interacting with each other and enjoy yeah. getting the job done. Um, I suppose um, what that means for me is it just, it, that makes me happy as well, you know, if, I, if I'm seeing that. So, so it's a win for everybody. Yeah, Richard. You, I mean, you've you've built a great business with great people. Uh, I think there's there's you know that what I've seen in the last three years is uh, is on an upward trajectory, and uh, you know that you've got the building blocks now for hopefully, um, you know, great greatness to come in the next few years as well. You know, given the team around you. So, huge congratulations on that, and um, really appreciate your time today. And great, thanks, Richard. Cheers. This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for designated investment business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed.